Well, let's take a Bible and open it together this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 21, we're going to be continuing in our study of the great man of God, David. If you didn't bring a Bible today, we want you to borrow our copy of the Bible. You'll find it right on the back of the seat in front of you, page 231 in our copy. 2 Samuel 21 in your copy. Can you guys hear okay out there in the lobby? Raise your hand so I know you We love you out there. God bless you guys. Six months, we'll fix it. Trust us. All right. God bless you. Hey, well, it's the year 2000. The presidential race is in high gear again. And smack dab in the middle of that race, at least it certainly seems that way after this past week's uh, elections, primaries, is uh, Governor George W. Bush. Now, Bush is trying to become only the second person in American history to do something, and that is to become president when their father was president. You know the other pair that this happened to? I hope you know John Adams and John Quincy Adams. Right, exactly. Now, when I think of senior Mr. Bush, the one who was president, I can't help but think about how he squandered one of the largest political uh, popularity positions in modern American politics and how he lost the 1992 election. And a lot of that comes back to one comment that he made. You probably remember it. He said this, read my lips, no new taxes. Right, you got it. And once he had broken that promise, he never, ever was able to escape it or live it down. Now, I know elections are not won and lost with any one little item, but most analysts will tell you this was a huge part of why he lost that election, uh, because the opposition was able to present him as a man you couldn't trust to keep his promises. Now, the reason I bring that up is because that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about keeping our word, keeping our promises as followers of Jesus Christ, because that issue lies at the heart of the passage that we have before us from the life of David. So I want you to look with me, beginning at 2 Samuel 21. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, Now during the reign of David, there was a famine, there was a drought and a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. Now, friends, as you know, Israel was an agricultural society. If you had went without rain and you didn't have crops for several years, you were in deep trouble. And back then, there were no modern irrigation systems. There were, were no desalinization plants. There were no genetically engineered, drought-resistant crops around. I mean, you were really dependent on the rain. Here, there's been a one—I mean, a one-year drought is a, is a is a concern. Here, there had been a three-year drought. A famine had set in, and so David goes, and this is a crisis now. He goes to seek the Lord and say, God, what is the deal here? What's going on? Well, God answers him. Pick up the middle of verse 1. And the Lord said, it's on the account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It's because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king, David, summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Bible tells us the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel. But they were survivors of the Amorites. They were native Canaanites who were there when Joshua invaded the land. And the Israelites had sworn to spare them. But Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to annihilate them. He said, well, Lon, wait a minute, just a second. I was under the understanding that when Joshua invaded the land, he was told by God to wipe all the Canaanites out. So what is this we read here about Joshua making a deal with these Canaanites to spare them? I don't get it. Well, let's look back and see if we can figure out what happened. Turn with me if you would. We're coming back to chapter 21. But I wonder if you turn back with me to Joshua chapter 9. 
Joshua chapter 9, it's page 157. If you're using our copy of the Bible, page 157. And while you're turning, let me tell you a little bit about the geography of Israel. Of course, in Israel, there are the central highlands of Israel where Jerusalem is located. And Gibeon, this city from the Gibeonites or from Gibeon, is about four miles north of Jerusalem, right smack dab, right in the middle of the country. Now, the Gibeonites, when Joshua invaded and Jericho fell and the other cities began to fall, they knew they weren't going to escape. I mean, it's not like they were on the outskirts somewhere or way out on the fringes where Joshua would just maybe forget them. They were right in the middle of the country. So they knew, man, we better come up with something or we're goners. So look what they did. Joshua chapter 9, verse 3. It says, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho, they resorted to a ruse, a trick. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded out, uh, were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. And the men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread they took was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua and they said to him, verse 6, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Now, friends, they probably traveled about 10 miles. That's it. All right. Now, verse 12. This bread of ours, they said, was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left. See how dry and moldy it is? And these wineskins that we filled were new. See how cracked they are? And our clothes were brand new when we left. See how worn out they were? It's all a lie. Complete lie. And verse 14, the men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. And it's interesting. Joshua and all the leaders of Israel, they looked at all their things and they said, huh, it looks pretty good to us. Did they stop and pray about it? No. Did they take some time to talk about it? No. Did they take some time to sleep on it? No. To get some wisdom about it? No. To ask the Lord about it? No. Look what they did. Immediately, verse 15, they made a treaty of peace with these people and to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. Now you say, what happened when everybody found out the real truth? Well, skip over to verse 18 and I'll show you. The whole assembly grumbled. They were all mad. They said, how could you do this against the leaders? But all the leaders answered and said, we have given these people our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we can't touch them now. This is what we will do. We will let them live so that God's anger will not fall on us. Because of breaking the oath, we swore to them. You say, well, now, Lon, wait a minute, though. They swore them an oath, yeah, but it was under false pretenses. They were snookered. They were lied to. They were deceived. I mean, how in the world should they be held accountable to keeping a promise they made when the other people tricked them? Well, I don't know, but that's how they feel about it. They took their promise very seriously, and they said whether we were snookered, whether we were taken advantage of, whether we were tricked, it doesn't make any difference. We made one mistake, which was making the promise in the first place. We're not going to make two mistakes and bring the anger of God down on us by now breaking our word. Even though we may have made it under trickery, we still gave them our word. Now, that's how this treaty ended up where the Gibeonites were promised that they wouldn't be harmed. Well, when we go back to 2 Samuel 21, what we find is that David's predecessor, King Saul, had violated and trashed everything about this oath. It says in verse 1 back there that he put the Gibeonites to death. 
It says in verse 2 that in his zeal, Saul had tried to annihilate them. And although the Bible never tells us exactly what it was that Saul was doing, whatever he did, it's clear that it violated Joshua's oath the, the, the promise that the Israelites made to these people, and it's also clear that God was very unhappy about this. Unhappy enough, folks, that He inflicts discipline on the entire nation of Israel for doing this. And so David, once he realizes this, verse 3 says, he sets out to go make it right. He says to the Gibeonites, how can I make amends? How can I make this up to you that we broke our word so that we can get the blessing of God back on our nation again? Now, we're going to talk more about what happened next when we do our next message. That's as far as we want to go today. We want to stop and ask the most important question. And you guys in the lobby now, we need you to be part of this. So you ready? One, two, three. Very good. Very good. We have the so what queen right here in front. Very good. God bless you, Deborah. I love you. Thanks for doing that. All right. Now, you say, Lon, so what? You say, uh, I mean, I feel bad for Joshua. Yeah, he should have prayed about it. Yeah, he made a bad deal. Yeah, he got snookered. But I mean, what difference does that make to me? Well, the difference is, would you see how seriously he took his promise even though he got snookered? Do you see the soberness that he had about having given his word and what he said about how if he didn't keep it, God was going to hold him accountable? Friends, if, you don't, if that's not 21st century, I don't know what is. That's what we want to talk about. You know, we had some friends over our house three or four weeks ago, and we, we were all sitting around, and we said, what do you want to do tonight? And they said, let's play Diplomacy. Now, Diplomacy is a board game. Any of you guys ever played Diplomacy, a few of you? No? All right. Well, I'd never played it either, but I'd heard about it. The stories are legendary about how wonderful Christian people, people who go right here to our own church family, just about come to blows playing this game with each other. I'd never played it. So I said, well, you know, I've heard some pretty bad things about this game. No, 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 they said, Lon, you'll love it. You'll love it. So I said, all right, we'll try. Anyway, I played the game with them, and now I understand why people want to strangle each other when you play this game. Let me tell you how the game is played. The game is played, basically, it's a reenactment of World War I in Europe. And every player gets to be the grand poobah of one of these countries in Europe with all the armies and everything. And then between each turn, what you do is... Each of the players makes secret deals with other players. You don't, none of the other, none of anybody else knows about it, just you and the player. You go off and you make all these secret treaties. You can make as many as you want. As a matter of fact, in our game, we all had prime ministers and our prime ministers all went off and made treaties in rooms together. Then, after everybody's made all their treaties, the next turn begins and the way you gain ground in each turn is by betraying everything you told the person you made the deal with. That's how you gain ground. The only way to win this game is to lie to, to deceive, to betray, and to sell out every person in the game. And here we were, wonderful friends at the beginning of our game. We all read our Bible every day. And by the end of the game, I mean, we, we, we had people who were just ready to go over the table on other people because they had been cheated at, they'd been lied to, they'd been betrayed, they'd been stabbed in the back. Unbelievable game. You say, Lon, emotionally, psychologically, this sounds like a very unhealthy game. It is. It's a sick game. But isn't it true real life works like this? 
Doesn't real life work like this? Sure, you've been sold stuff where people told you about things that that product couldn't have possibly done, but they told you it would. You've been told stuff would be there when it never got there, and they knew from the beginning it wasn't going to get there, but they told you anyway. This is how real life's played. It's like a big diplomacy game. Now, what I'm here to tell you today is that as followers of Jesus Christ, God expects something different from us. God expects something higher from us. God expects something holier from us than a game of diplomacy. God expects us to be people of our word. God expects us to be people who, for whom our word is our bond. He expects us to live like Joshua lived when Joshua said, well, maybe we gave it under false pretenses, but our word is our bond. Listen to these scriptures. Numbers, Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. It says, this is what the Lord commands. When a person makes a vow or takes an oath that obligates them to another person, they must not break their word, but must do everything they said they would. Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, simply let your yes be yes and let your no be no. In other words, just do what you say you're going to do. And friends, see, to God, this is not a joking matter when we give our word, which is why over and over in the Psalms, we find David repeating the very same theme. Psalm 116, verse 14, he says, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. Psalm 22, verse 25, in the presence of your people, Lord, I will fulfill my vows. Psalm 56, verse 12, your vows are upon me, O Lord, I will fulfill them. And this is just a tiny smattering of verse after verse after verse in the Psalms where David says, hey God, I understand when I give my word, it is a serious thing with you. And when I make a vow, when I make an oath, I'm determined to keep it. He said, well, Lon, okay, I get it. I understand. You're telling me that as a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants me to be a stickler about keeping my word. That's right. You say, but Lon, it's not that simple. I mean, we live in a very complex world. And it's just not that easy to always be able to keep your word. I mean, have you got any handles, Lon, you can put on this for me? Got any practical suggestions that can help me to do a better job of this? Oh, yes, I do. I do. In fact, I have five I want to give you, so I'm glad you asked. And these will help, these will really help to make you and me better at keeping our word. Because this is a serious issue. Number one, principle number one, ready? Hope you'll write these down. Number one, expect to be held to your promises. Expect people to hold you to your word. See, in our American culture today, we're so used to people breaking their word that in our society, we've tended into drifting, we've tended to drifting into thinking that, hey, well, nobody really expects me to keep what I promise anyway. Nobody else does. If I just say, I made a mistake, I can get out of it. If I just say, well, things changed, I can get out of it. If I just say, I misspoke, I can get out of it. Welcome to Washington. I misspoke, therefore, I am not responsible for what I promised. And our society buys that stuff. Well, friends, I'm here to tell you, God does not buy this. God doesn't take this kind of a cavalier attitude towards us giving our word about things. Deuteronomy 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, the Bible says, be sure to do it. For if you don't do it, You will be guilty of wrongdoing and the Lord your God will certainly demand it from you. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 from the Living Bible. Don't be a fool by making rash promises, the Bible says. Keep all the promises you make. For 
It is better to say nothing than to promise something you don't follow through on. And don't defend yourself by trying to say, Oh, my promise, it was a mistake. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Instead, the Bible says, stand in awe of God. Realize how seriously God takes this and fear Him. Friends, even though our culture may have moved on this, God has not. And before we make a promise, it is important before we give our word that we approach this whole thing understanding that the expectation is we're going to be held to what we promise even if people don't hold us to it. God is going to hold us to it. By the way, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's great news in this whole principle because, you know, God never makes a promise that He doesn't expect us to hold Him to. And so when God made you a promise in the Bible that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, if you trust what He did for you on the cross as your Messiah, that God in response would give you eternal life and take you to heaven, God expects you to hold Him to that. God made that promise expecting you to say, God, now you made me a promise and I'm going to expect you to keep it. And the wonderful news about God is God always keeps His promises. Friends, if there's any doubt in your mind about the promise of God, get rid of it. When God makes a promise, He makes it expecting you to hold Him to it. Now, because of this principle... We have a favorite saying in my house, this principle of being expected to hold to your promises. You know, it's interesting when you raise kids, you start off stupid and you get smarter as it goes along. And by the time you get to grandkids, you figured this thing out, I think. But anyway, I started off stupid. People, when my kids would come to me and go, could we do this? Could we do this? Could we do that? Could we do that? And I would stand there and go, yeah, I think so. I think that'd be fine. Sure, I don't see why not. And then you know what happens? They come back and they hold you to it. See, I taught my children, if you tell me you're going to do something, I'm going to hold you to it. Then all of a sudden they grow up enough that they can turn that around on you. And they go, Dad, you told us we were going to do this. You said we're going here. You said this. You said we're going to do this. You said we're going to do that. So I never say yes anymore. I know. Dad, can we do this? Can we go here? Can we do that? You know what I say? I've told you before. We'll see. How do you like that? Dad, can we do this? We'll see. Dad, can we do that? We'll see. Dad, can we go over there? No, we'll see. Dad, can we do this today? We'll see. Dad, can we have this for dinner? No, let's see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Because you can't hold me to we'll see. See. And that gives me time to make sure I'm ready to stand behind this thing before I make it. Well, you know, friends, there's a lot of things in our world where the first response you ought to give is we'll see before you say yes, because people are going to hold you to what you say. God's going to hold you to what you say. I can't think of many decisions in our world that are going to be lost because we wait 24 hours to make sure we're ready to be, to be held to the promise we make, which leads to our second principle, which is this. Make promises, since we're going to be held to them, we need to make promises more carefully, more thoughtfully, and more prayerfully. Ecclesiastes 5 says this, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter promises before God. Do not let your lips lead you into sin. So many of us, friends, we utter promises, we give our word carelessly, we're like, yeah, yeah, sure, oh yeah, I'll do that, uh-huh, yeah, you bet, okay, you can count on me, yeah, take it to the bank, have your person call my person, oh yeah, 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 yeah. But, but you know, that's exactly how Joshua got himself in trouble, didn't you read it? It said back there, he didn't take time to pray about it, he didn't take time to think about it, he didn't take time to get wisdom, he just made a quick promise and said, oh sure, here you go. Was he sorry he made the promise? You bet he was. 
You bet he was. And so if you and I want to be do a better job of keeping our word, my second principle is give your word more carefully, more thoughtfully, more prayerfully. Make sure you've really prayed it through and thought it through and gotten wisdom before you make a commitment. Principle number three is if you do promise something, do it right away. My experience has been once I put off keeping a promise, once I postpone keeping my word, once I procrastinate a little bit, even though I've got the best of intentions, it's easy to forget. It's easy for it to get lost under a pile. It's easy for me to break my word. And that's a problem. Deuteronomy 23 verse 21 says, if you make a vow before the Lord, do not be slow to pay it. Get it done right away, because if you forget... The Lord's going to certainly demand it of you and you'll be guilty of wrongdoing. The best way I know not to have it, I know nobody mean, I don't mean to break those promises, but you forget. Everybody does. Best way not to do that is do it right away. You know, on Sundays, I stand out here, y'all see me, out in the lobby, out in the front, in the walkway, shaking hands. I love doing that. It's fun to see you guys as you come in, talk to you. But because I do that, I get people every week who say, hey, Lon, can you help with this? Can you help me with that? Can somebody call me on that? Can you get me some information on that? And I go, sure. Write it down. Give me your phone number and what you need, and I'll, I'll take care of it. And I go home every Sunday with about a half a dozen to a dozen pieces of paper in my pocket of stuff that people ask me to get to them and have done. So let me tell you what I've learned to do after 20 years of being a pastor. First thing I do when I leave here, if I'm not going to lunch the very, with somebody, the very first thing I do when I leave here is I go to McDonald's. That's true. Very first thing I do. And I get a Big Mac and the biggest Diet Coke they have. That's what I do. It's my treat to myself uh, for Sunday because I don't eat Big Macs usually, usually during the week. And so I get a Big Mac and I Coke, and that's how I make it through the fourth service a lot. I'm getting tired, but I go, just think, when you finish, you get a Big Mac. So I make it. <laughs> well, it's true. It is. It's the truth. So that motivates me, see? And, and then after I eat my Big Mac and drink my Coke, I go home and I pull all these pieces of paper out of my pocket. And before I watch the ball game, before I see what movies are on TV, before I do anything else, I go right down those little pieces of paper and make all those phone calls. If I need to call a staff member and leave a message for them to call somebody, I do it. If I need to get somebody some information, I call and I do it. You know why? Because I've learned the hard way. If I don't do it Sunday, Sunday becomes Monday and Monday becomes Tuesday and Tuesday becomes Sunday and I didn't do it. And then I see the same people come walking into church the next week. And guess what? They're like, you never called me. And I'm like, oh, golly day, you're right, I didn't. Now, they're not usually ready to hurt me or anything, but it's not good. It's not good. Now, and so I've tried to do that. Folks, if you want to do a better job of keeping your promises, here's my advice to you, is don't procrastinate it. Do it right away before you forget. Principle number four is be prepared to simply suck it up if you have to. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a real biblical principle, but it is. It is. Because how many times have you found yourself in a situation where you say to yourself, man, how did I get myself into this thing? When I made the promise, it, was, it seemed simple, it seemed easy, it seemed not complicated, and now it's like I hit Tar Baby and I can't get my hand back. Then I kicked him and I can't get my foot back. This thing has grown to mammoth proportions. How did I get myself into this thing? You ever been in one of those? Man, I have. What do you do when you're in one of those? Well, I'll tell you what David says you do, and, and I'll warn you ahead of time, you're not going to like the answer. 
not going to like this. But he said, here's what you do. Psalm 15, verse 4, he's laying out the characteristics of a godly person. And he said, one of them is that they're a person who keeps their word, keeps their oaths, even when it hurts. Uh Uh-oh. You mean, Lon, because all of a sudden it's a lot more difficult than I thought? I can't just say, oh, man, I didn't bargain for this. I'm out of here. That's not what David said. David said, even if it hurts, even if you've got to suck it up, you do what you say. Be more promised. Be more careful before you promise. But once you've promised, you've got to suck it up sometimes. Friends, I don't know how in the world you can ever be a person who keeps their word without having some situations that come along where the simple answer is, you're sorry you ever made the promise, but you just got to suck it up and do it. You know, Abraham Lincoln, when he took the oath of office in 1861, stood in front of all of America with his hand on a Bible and promised to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Now, he concluded his first inaugural address with a deep awareness that he had made an oath before God. Listen to what he said. He said, in in your hands, my dissatisfied countrymen, is the momentous issue of civil war. You have no oath registered in heaven to destroy the government, but I have a most solemn oath registered in heaven to preserve, protect, and defend it. End of quote. Now, I'm sure Mr. Lincoln had no idea in the world what he was getting himself into when he made that promise in 1861. He got himself into five years of civil war, over 600,000 Americans killed, not wounded. That's just killed. And, and, and as the war dragged on and things were going badly for the North, Carl Sandburg records in his biography of Lincoln that a reporter came to see Lincoln one day and said, Mr. Lincoln, you look terrible. You look haggard, you look old, you look worn out. The job of being president's killing you. Here's what Lincoln said, and I quote. He said, that isn't it. it. The work's never troubled me. He said, but things look badly, and I can't avoid anxiety. What our people must have is success. But whether that success comes or not, I shall stay right here and do my duty. They may come and hang me on that tree over there, but I shall never desert my post. End of quote. You want to know why we revere this man as being the greatest president in American history? Because the man made a tough promise that he was sorry he ever got himself into, I'll bet. But it didn't matter. He stayed in and sucked it up and saw it through. And that's what God's looking for from you and me, friends. Sometimes it just comes down to being that simple where you just got to suck it up and do what you said you'd do. Principle number five, finally... If you've blown it, and let's be honest, we're all human, we all do our best at this, we all break promises, we all let people down, no matter how hard we try, we do. If you've blown it, go back and take the steps necessary to make it right. That's what we're going to see David do. Right here in this chapter, he's going to go back to these Gibeonites and he's going to say, all right, what can I do to make it right? And making it right means two things. It means, one, we accept the personal responsibility for what we've done, and two, we're willing to take whatever steps are necessary to make amends, to do reparation, to repair the damage. And that's what David's going to do. You're going to see that right here. Friends, here's the point. When we fail to keep our word, we should hold ourselves accountable for it. You know, we shouldn't need a three-year famine to get the point that we broke our word to somebody and we need to go back and make it right. We ought to have such an ability to police ourselves that we're quick to jump in and go, "Uh uh-oh, 
broke my word. I need to go back. I don't need God to discipline me. I'm going to discipline myself and I'm going to go take care of this and make it right. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31. It says, if we would judge ourselves rightly, then we would never have to be disciplined by the Lord. And I'll tell you, after 30 years of being a Christian, it is a lot less painful for you to discipline yourself, I've learned, than for God to have to do it. You don't want God doing it. It's much easier if you do it for yourself. And so if you and I want to be people who take our word seriously, one of those steps is that when we break our word, even if it's an accident, police yourself. Discipline yourself. Don't make God do that and go back and make it right. Some of you here had people's names and faces come right up on the screen when I said you broke your word. What are you going to do about that? Well, my advice to you is don't wait till God sends a famine in your life to get your attention. Go call that person up tomorrow morning. Go walk in their office tomorrow morning. Go call them this afternoon or go by their house and say, I let you down. I'm here to ask for forgiveness. What can I do to make it right? Why do you need a famine? Don't make God do that. Five principles to help you be people of your word. Number one, expect to be held to our promises. Number two, therefore, make promises carefully and make them prayerfully. Be careful what we promise. Principle number three, if you're going to promise something, try and do it right away before you even can accidentally forget. Principle number four, if you have to, just suck it up. And get it done. And principle number five, if you blow it, and we all do sometime, discipline yourself. Go and make it right with that person. Don't make God have to get your attention, because that hurts. Get your own attention and police yourself. Hey, these simple principles will work. And you know what, friends? It doesn't matter if the people of our world don't live this way. Guess what? God doesn't expect them to doesn't matter if the people in your office or the people in your marketplace environment or the people in your family or the people in your neighborhood don't live this way. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if the Gibeonites tricked them. Doesn't matter. Our response has got to be one of integrity, honesty, and being people of our word. And it doesn't matter what other people do because other people are not out there to reflect the character of Jesus Christ. We are. May God help us do that. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for talking to us today about real life. And you know that the world we live in, people lie all the time. People mislead other people on purpose all the time. It's just the way it is. But God, my prayer is that we would be different as followers of Jesus Christ. That we would take a higher road. And the road we take is a road that we make promises more carefully. But when we make them, they stick. Even if we got to suck it up they stick. And when we fail, we've got the integrity to go back and make it right. God, make us those kind of people so that we can reflect your character accurately to an onlooking and needy world. Change our lives because we were here today, I pray in Jesus name. Amen.